Say your name, your favorite movie of the year, and why. Hi, my name is Maury. Uh, my favorite movie of the year was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Because, you know, the, the story was so different, you know, and I just love how the direction that they took Luke. A lot of people don't like it, but I do. Um, my name's Kirsten. My favorite movie of 2017 was Coco. Um, and I feel like even if you're not Mexican, you don't have to be that culture to appreciate what the movie was about. And I feel like everybody can appreciate it in some sort of way and connect it to their own lives, which is what made it so heartwarming. Grace Madigan. And my favorite movie of 2017 was, I'll say, The Big Sick. Uh, because it was the first rom-com that I felt was actually really good in a while and I thought it was everything a rom-com should be. Welcome to a very special episode of Cinema Adventure, a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film, but this week we're looking back on the year 2017 and having a little talk about the ups and downs, what was good, what was bad. I'm your favorite movie of the year, Aiden Walker. I'm Blake, and I don't have any position on your list whatsoever. (laughs) I don't think that's true. I mean, I don't think I'm anyone's favorite movie because, you know... Not a movie. Listen, man, when you're when you're buffing up that resume, you can't undersell yourself like that. I guess. Otherwise, you're never going to get that dream job. I guess so. You're probably right. 2017 was a very good year for movies, I think. It really was. I it seems like, like everybody was pretty happy with most of the movies that were in the theaters this yeah. year. I feel like that's like always such a cliche term. They always use it, too. I always think of like American Idol. Because like whenever a new season would come out for that, they would be like, oh, this is the best season yet. And it's like you say that every year. But I feel like legitimately this year, like the majority of the movies that came out, like I genuinely loved. And I don't know, like could end up being on my you know top ten lists forever, really. Like there was just a lot of really great stuff this year. I also want to preface this episode with our studio is in renovation. We're painting, so a lot of our soundproofing is down Uh, You may be hearing some extraneous talking in the background or door slams this episode, and for that we apologize. I think, you know, hopefully it'll be fine. I think it adds a little bit of fun, naturalism. (laughs) A little bit of atmosphere. A little bit of atmosphere, yeah. Gives us a sense of where we are. Anyway, 2017. Great year for movies. Yeah. What would you say was your, like, favorite experience in the theater this year? Oh, in the theater. I think my favorite experience in the theater was when I saw Mother. I think that movie, even if you liked it, it still causes such an intense reaction. It's very much a movie that kind of induces whiplash. And I don't know, I feel like so many movies you kind of just watch and everyone's sitting there idly, whatever. But you could feel the tension in the theater. You could tell people were hating it. You could tell people were, even if they were liking it, were having a really strong reaction. And so it felt weirdly like almost historical to me, like the way I would imagine audiences who, you know, like saw like a Clockwork Orange in theaters or like Mulholland Drive, like something that's so unlike what's out, I kind of would liken it to that. Like, I feel like it just it felt like it was like a weird moment almost. It was just really exciting to experience. And like going with my friends, like everyone afterward was just so shaken. And I just had never had that kind of experience before where it was just like this totally polarizing, but everyone was just kind of, it left such a huge impression on them. It was just insane to me. That's awesome. Yeah, what was yours? Uh, it's it's hard to say. I think I'd have to say like I have three different ones for oh, different wow. for different reasons. I have to say it 
because I think it was the first horror movie that I'd ever seen in a theater. Wow. And I went with friends. Late to the game. <laughs> I, I know, late to the game. I went with friends, and it was admittedly pretty scary at some points. And one of my friends was a total scaredy cat, so it was fun to watch his reactions to everything. And that, that just experience of hearing people just kind of gasp and hold their faces in the theater was, was really great. So that, was, that one was probably the one I'd go for for kind of audience reaction, just kind of new genre for me. My next one I'd say would be Blade Runner 2049 mm. for like the technology, because I saw it in IMAX and the sound like almost killed me. I almost died because wow. uh, it was very loud. A little dramatic. <laughs> um, I, I'm lucky to be alive after, wow. after Hans Zimmer assaulted my ears with mm. those noises. <laughs> That was really something else. And then lastly, probably Baby Driver because, again, the music and that. And just I went and saw it when I was in Walla Walla, Washington, and it was a way to escape the 105-degree heat. Oh, wow. That's that's something. Yeah. High heat there. Very high heat. (laughs) It is really to kind of think about what I have seen this year because so much of – like even Baby Driver, like I feel like I saw that a year ago or something. Like it's just weird to think about – how spread out so many of the good movies that came out this year. I mean, didn't Get Out, Get Out, I mean, <laughs> Get Out didn't it come out, like, I think in February, but that feels like that was, like, a lifetime ago, but it is where you have these very memorable works kind of just sprinkled in throughout the year that, I don't know, it is, like, really interesting to think about how much this year is characterized by these pretty singular works for the most part, too. Not a lot of redundant stuff for the most part. No. Except maybe superhero movies, whatever. <laughs> Get Out was something else. Yeah, I really liked it. I was I, so late to the party on that I was one. very late. I watched it, I think, maybe like at the beginning of December. So I was really, really late. I watched it on HBO Go. And I was Wait, of, you watched it at the beginning of December? Yeah, like oh, I wasn't was that late to the party. Late, yeah. And I don't really know what it Like, it's not that I didn't want to watch it. I just, like, don't. I honestly don't know if I just got, like, sidetracked or something. But I really, really liked that, too. I also had watched, like, The Stepford Wives earlier that year. And so... I loved that, and so I think that kind of helped how much I liked Get Out, just because I could see so many parallels between these two movies that I really adored. But it's such a smart commentary on, like, post-racial America and, like, how much racism takes on so many different forms, and it's also kind of an interesting black comedy. Like, it just has all these different components that are so ingenious, but... And it's a total lesson in foreshadowing, too. Oh, totally. Every everything, everything that happens is hinted at in some way. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's really brilliant. Yeah. Really tightly written. Yeah, I was still really mad that it... I mean, it didn't really get a ton of nominations at the Golden Globes. Granted, I don't think the Golden Globes are super important in terms of award shows. And award shows in general are kind of meaningless, but at the same time, you kind of want stuff to get, you know, awarded. But that was still bizarre to me. It only got, like, two nominations, and then it was, like, nominated for comedy or musical, and then Jordan Peele wasn't nominated for writing and directing. Like, I feel like it made such a huge cultural mark this year and yet didn't yeah. really get that much praise at those awards it just felt very off to me that's so, a shame i'm hoping that you know when an academy award nominations come out that that one is a little bit more recognized as i mean it, it made such a huge impact like i just think it would be a shame to not i don't know give it some kind of reward for what it did no, it deserves it deserves some kind of recognition and i totally agree with you i think awards yeah. are probably are very meaningless i'm sure jordan peele probably feels that way yeah. but at the same time he's he, he's earned it man I yeah mean, totally come on. it is like frustrating though how awards i mean they are meaningless but at the same time like when something is recognized it 
does kind of end up having a longer legacy because people will kind of look back to it like, oh, oh yeah. this movie oh, this one won an Oscar. Yeah, exactly. I have and to so watch it. You like want to think it doesn't matter, but it also kind of does at the same time because even like totally just awful movies that will get you know Oscars are still going to be watched all the time just because they were nominated. So yep. Hopefully, the you know the Academy will make up for that mistake, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, how about worst movie experience this year? I feel like luckily, since I am a poor college student, I do try to avoid movies that get predominantly negative reviews. But I did see for the daily, I really wanted to go to one of the movie screenings. Because it's like a fun way to go to a free movie, basically. And so I just like signed up for The Snowman. And it was before all the reviews came out. So I was like, it can't be that bad. It has Michael Fassbender, Rebecca Ferguson, all these really great actors. And that was... I don't even know if it was, like, one of the worst of the... I just think it was, like, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like, it just felt so slapped together and just so tone-deaf in every single thing it did. And I was also... I don't think I even heard about it. I think I heard you complain about it. What is the premise to Um, it? Basically, Michael Fassbender plays an alcoholic detective who is in Norway, and he's, like, solving, like, a serial killer is on the loose, basically. And so he's solving the case. You could see the potential, I think, if it were... Delivered in more of, like, a girl with a dragon tattoo fashion where it is kind of this, like, very kind of epic. Because, I mean, that movie is, like, two hours and 45 minutes. I think if it had really delved into its story and really taken the time to develop everything, I would have been fine. But I did read afterward that it was, like, a really rushed production. And so they kind of just put it all together really fast and didn't really think about all the nuances. And so it just comes across as a very predictable, inane take on the serial killer genre. Like, I even think something as kind of throwaways like Taking Lives with Angelina Jolie, which is similar. I think that is a better movie. Like, this movie was just awful. And it, I was also mad because it just wasted so many good actors. Because you had Fassbender and Ferguson, but you also had, like, um, J.K. Simmons, Chloe Sevigny, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Oh my gosh. All these great actors, and so that was also a shame. But at least, I'm going to give a shout-out to Charlotte Gainsbourg. That was an awful movie, but she released one of the best albums of the year, Probably give that a listen instead, but she did not, <laughs> that did not harm her year. So is the villain mean. in that movie an animate snowman or <laughs> just a guy? It's just a guy, but he does this <sighs> thing where he'll like build a snowman before he commits the crime. And okay, so that is so dumb. It's really dumb. That's so you, dumb. Did you see the posters? Because like the, no. the poster is like a, draw, like a child's drawing of a snowman and then like the tagline's like, this is not correct, but it's like, sorry, Mr. Police, if you would just come sooner, you could have stopped me or whatever. And it's like this dumb... Oh, man. It's just, yeah, it's very just asinine, and I hated it. So does he just build... It's just a regular-ass snowman that he builds? Pretty much. And it's, like, vaguely ominous, I guess, because, like, you know what's preceding someone's death. But but... what if... But what if... Here comes the, the serial killer in me. What if he, like, killed a person and then made the snowman but then used like their arms on it or something um, you know he, that'd be like kind of a coen brothers I feel twist like, on it honestly maybe he did that during the movie but i saw i like blocked it out of my memory as soon as oh, i geez. watched it that i feel like any detail like that i probably forgot <laughs> whoops also shout out to the fact that in the novel the detective's name is harry hole but in the movie they decided to pronounce it whole so his name Michael Fassbender's name in the movie is Harry Hole. You're so, kidding me. It's true. So no. that's kind of just the cherry on top of this pile of trash, basically. That is really offensive yeah, to me, so personally. Not a, not a huge fan of that one. 
in general. Jeez. But, you know. It's like they knew that their movie was going to be bad. They went with I that. Think they did. It I... Was, I mean, I guess one final thing is the director, Tomas Alfredson, has had a very critically acclaimed career thus far. So I'm hoping that he can overcome this because this is a very huge misstep for someone who, you know, is building momentum. So, yeah, that was my worst experience. What was your worst experience or one of the worst movies you saw? Oh, my God. I went and saw Kingsman the Golden Circle (laughs) this year in a theater and I went with friends and I... So I've never felt like this. I so badly wanted to walk out, but they wouldn't let me. I couldn't do it. They were they were they were in for the ride. They'd paid their eight dollars. You know they were there. Wow, cheap theater. Did you yeah, go to the or we something? went to the varsity. Um, oh, so smart. We gave them their, our student IDs. Yeah, yeah. I guess I wasn't a big fan of the original Kingsman. I thought it was entertaining, if maybe a little gratuitous, just for the sake of being over the top. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like for some reason the violent like church scene in the original Kingsman is like almost more offensively violent than what happens in the John Wick movies. Yeah. No, I had the same problem with the first one too. Like I enjoyed it, but the violence I, I mean I get that in the church, like technically the characters who are being like killed maimed, whatever are like not good people or whatever, but the movie nonetheless would deliver this extremely graphic violence, but then put, like, like a 70s pop song over it, like, trying to do, like, the whole Tarantino thing and make it playful. And it's like, you know, I don't want to see violence and then have it delivered in a jokey fashion. You know, like, I just think it's very it, off-putting. Yeah, it's kind of tasteless. Yeah, especially um, when the movie's trying to be kind of a fun James Bond satire. Like, you don't have to be that violent and make a joke out of it. Yeah, and that was kind of the most disappointing thing about the second one is that everybody kept on saying, oh, it's like way more James Bondy. There's like more gadgety stuff. And there isn't. There's like a couple of dumb CGI robot dogs. Yeah. And there's a scene where a guy gets put through a hamburger grinder and then served to another dude as a hamburger. Like, it's so dumb. And then despite the fact that there's also... I can't believe I didn't see more talk about how awful this movie was because there's a whole scene where Eggsy, the main character has to go undercover because there's, like, this bad guy's girlfriend, and he stalks her to a music festival. Mm. And the tracking device he's supposed to put on her, he doesn't... It's not like he just attaches it to her, like, Star Wars style or something. It's like he has to put it in her vagina. Yeah. And there's a scene where the camera, like, goes inside (laughs) this girl. And it's... I could not believe what I was watching. That was unbelievable. Yeah, it was so yeah. horrible. No, for um, me, I, yeah, just I can't believe there wasn't more talk, and I didn't see more people like really pissed off that that was happening on a big screen, and people were just kind of <laughs> okay with it. Yeah, I think fans of the original, like people who really liked it, I think were willing to excuse more of those kinds of over the top moments. I certainly am not. I feel like with this one too, like I didn't necessarily hate it, but I just thought it was kind of boring, and I felt like. The humor just didn't land for me, and they really try to pump it with, um, like, a really, like, a lot more famous actors. Like, they had Julianne Moore, Jeff Bridges, Halle Berry, who else am I missing? They had just, like, a ton of huge stars, kind of a way to bolster its credit, but all of them are wasted. Especially, like, Moore just seems so... She plays the villain, but she just seems so out of place here. And I've never seen Julianne Moore in anything and thought, like, she's miscast, but she was totally miscast here. But I don't know, it just felt like a huge kind of waste of time and it, I also didn't feel like the original needed a sequel in the first place kind of a bummer <laughs> and then they put in um oh what's his name the guy from Magic Mike who oh Channing Tatum they yeah. put in Channing Tatum and he's in it for in. like 10 minutes and then yeah. they, they just want to like, knock him, him out the, or something they just want him on the poster I luckily saw it for free because my friend 
volunteers at, like the Pacific Science Center, and so they got free tickets. So oh. that was, but I would not have paid for that anyway. Yeah. Even if it got like good reviews, it would somehow convince me. Like I don't think I would pay for it just because I didn't like the first one that much. But yeah, I I, uh, I got suckered in. I got suckered in. <laughs> As it happens, I usually. Yeah, sometimes I can kind of back out of a movie, but sometimes when you want to see your friends, you just... <laughs> you just gotta. You have to suck it up. <laughs> yep. What about superhero movies this year? I feel like there were a lot of them. Yeah, I honestly don't give a shite about superhero movies for the most part. I really liked Thor Ragnarok. I did see that. Um, we talked about that one. We did an episode on that. That's true. Go ahead and check that out. Yep. Look at that self-promotion. But I... I didn't really see any. I don't think. Like, I'm trying to think of what came out. Did you see Wonder and... Woman? Oh, I did. oh God, yeah, and I love Wonder Woman. I feel like I should. I forgot. I, I forgot still, that even came out. I this still year. need to see it. I, I really liked it. I guess I've just been. I've just heard so much like hate towards the DC movies that I just kind of ignored it when it was coming out. Oh no way! Um, it's really good. I should see it, especially like second viewing. Like the first viewing, I kind of had thought like the class is like, oh, there's too much action and not enough, whatever. But like, I don't know. The second time, like you really can appreciate all the things that it does well, and I think. It's a step in the right direction for DC, although I I didn't see Justice League, but I heard that wasn't super good. Oh, yeah. But I really liked it. Gal Gadot's fantastic in it. Chris Pine's really good in it, too, which I didn't expect. I've always thought he was just kind of a bland actor, even though he's really good in Hell or High Water. But yeah, I really liked that as well. But that and Thor Ragnarok, was there like... What were the other ones um, that came out? There was, spa- uh, there was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, I guess... Wow, I saw that. I guess I have seen a lot more than I thought. I wasn't a big fan of that one. I didn't like it very much. It yeah, was too much. It was much. a little too long, I think. I was trying to weigh in on, like, daddy issues that I thought was boring and tired. Yeah, it was kind of like they were trying to do, like, a Darth Vader reveal kind of thing, yeah. but they did it at the beginning, and then it didn't pay off in well, a very satisfying way, at was, least for me. And that was irritating, because I thought mm-hmm. it was irritating, because it was, I thought it was really funny and fun for the first, like, half hour, and then it just decided, like, let's make it really serious and analyze all these characters' emotions, and it's like, no, like, <laughs> I was having a good time, like, bringing back the comedy and the dumb action, like I want with also superhero movies, but... Whatever. <laughs> there was also Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, I saw that. I enjoyed I like, that as I well. I like that one a lot, actually. I enjoyed um, it. I felt like, I mean, I was watching, like, this movie's unnecessary, but I still thought it was entertaining. Yeah, I've always been annoyed with the casting of Spider-Mans. They've always been too old. Spider-Man's supposed to be a little teenager boy. Mm-hmm. They finally did it. Yeah, they finally did it. And they Good nailed it. The whole idea of Spider-Man, all of his catchphrases in every movie, oh, not movie, but like in the cartoons and the comic books, he always has silly stuff that he says and it's because he's a nerdy 16 year old trying to say what he thinks a cool superhero would say mm. and they totally nail that in this yeah. movie he's just such a, a, a dorky kid yeah. but so i i liked it i like that yeah, plot. No, even though the really... movie like the, the plot was like okay it had a good reveal for michael keaton's character being the dad that was a great yeah, reveal that was fun. overall i enjoyed it yeah i enjoyed yeah. it too and i think what it comes down to with me with a lot of certain movies is if the humor is effective and i feel like that one had so much good com- comedic inspiration that I just felt like, even though the plot is pretty, you know, average, you know, by the numbers, whatever, like, it still was really funny, and I really liked the characters, so that wasn't a total waste of time, like a lot of superhero movies are, but, um, <laughs> was there anything else that came out this year? Did I really there were, just There see... were superhero movies? Yeah, I guess there's I Justice League, I didn't see no, that. I didn't see that either. Yeah, I actually caused kind of some family drama because we were, like, in Bend for Thanksgiving, and my... Like, parents were watching football or something. My sister were like, oh, we're going to go see a movie, but we couldn't... I did not want to see Justice League, and my sister did, so we just split up, and she saw Justice League, and then I saw Murder on the Orient Express, which I didn't like, so I feel like it would have <laughs> been fine, but... 
she was like mad at me for it for a long time. Yeah, Murder on the Orient Express, you kind of get exactly what you expect. Yeah, it's beautiful, but just watch the 1974 adaptation instead. It's a lot better and a lot less uh, about Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh. That's really all that movie's about. He loves himself. He does, and uh, all the scenes of him ordering the hard-boiled eggs, or soft-boiled eggs, uh, and him measuring them are just exhausting. so... Ex- yeah, exhausting, but also hilarious. Yeah. I was so... I don't know what audience but that I was with, like, laughed at those jokes, and I was just like, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally in the audience laughing at those jokes, because... Not because the jokes were funny, but because Kenneth Branagh delivering them in his way was humorous to me, uh, just because yeah. I knew that he was going to be like that. His best and most accurate role ha- was definitely Gilderoy Lockhart in uh, in Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> he played him. Yeah. I would try to, like, think of, because I feel like he's played so many characters where he's in a lot of heavy makeup, so it's, like, hard to backtrack. Like, what exactly has he been that I've seen? Because he is, you know, unrecognizable a lot of the time, so. <laughs> oh, on the superhero movie we missed was the Lego Batman movie. Oh, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> it was too much. No, I really, I much. loved the first Lego movie, so but I felt I. like this one, I don't know, like, it still tried to keep that joke a minute sort of humor thing going, but I just feel like the jokes didn't stick as much for it me. It was almost like the jokes were too fast. It felt kind of ADHD-induced. Yeah, it was really, I wasn't. It was really too much. I wasn't a huge fan. But. I can see little kids seeing this movie and then saying all the jokes in the movie to their parents over and mm-hmm. over and over and over again and driving them crazy. Yeah. Which is not a great joke formula for, (laughs) yeah. And it was a kid's movie, so maybe we got a little bit of slack. But I don't know. Like, the first, like, movie was so, like, That first movie was really very good. So I feel like I, and also I, like, never use, like, the it's a kid's movie car, because there's so many kids movies that I adore. You know what? That's true. I loved Coco. I take it back. I also loved Coco. It was good. A little bit of a formulaic. Brought a tear to my eye. No, like, for the first 15 minutes, I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen, and this is dumb. And then, like, it just, like, I think is all... As most Pixar movies do, they eventually just melt your heart. And by the end, there's like a scene where a kid's like trying to kind of have this connection with his grandmother who has Alzheimer's. I almost started crying. Like I was just so I teared up a little bit for that. sure. Totally. So, I mean, well, but also Lego Batman, like I didn't realize that came out this year because I feel like I Oh, I mean, it came out so it long It was like ago. February, right? So yeah. that feels like a year ago. I saw it at the Varsity as well. So at least I didn't spend too much money. Did you end up seeing The Disaster Artist? I did see The Disaster Artist. And you've seen The Room. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen The Room as well. There are all these, like, um, allegations now that James Franco is one of the many sexual predators in Hollywood, though. So I'm not... I don't know. It's despicable. So it's really hard to kind of... Because I did enjoy that movie a lot, but I also don't want to necessarily support him. So... But, I mean, the movie is effective in humanizing, at least, the whole Tommy Wiseau story. I yeah, still want to know how him. Tommy made all that money. I don't get how he made all that money to make the room. Apparently but... he'd made, like, knockoff clothing brands. Well, I heard that, and then I heard that there was, like, some middle-aged millionaires who, like, he was friends with that funded it. There are, like, a lot of random rumors. So but... strange. No. We could spend a whole episode talking about the room, and that's not for this episode. Yeah, no, I honestly could. There's so much. And I feel like it would just be just a bunch of questions that are being asked. <laughs> yeah. Like, why, why did they do this? A... What, yeah, I why don't do know. Who, yeah, who knows? Honestly. The Room, like, I enjoy it, though. Very have you seen the... Have you been to, like, a screening of The Room? And I haven't it? been to a screening, no. I just watched it with, like, some friends a while ago, but... I'd like to do that. I've, I've heard that seeing it in the theater where everybody throws the spoons and does all the little things. It's yeah. like seeing Rocky Horror, apparently. Yeah, no, it's, like, a big deal. And I know if you tweeted it, Tommy Zoe might answer, because I follow him on Twitter, and he always is, like, retweeting, like, fans who are like, oh, I had such a good time at this screening of The Room, so... 
<laughs> Maybe I'll just do it to get Tommy to talk to me because I would love that. I always feel so weird watching videos recently of James Franco and Tommy kind of on the press tour for The Disaster Artist because James Franco will do his impression of Tommy right in front of Tommy. Yeah, it seems like that would cause tension, but Tommy doesn't seem to mind. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And they hinted this thing. Like, I've read most of The Disaster Artist, and there's a lot of hints that, like, something really awful happened to Tommy Wiseau that kind of made him kind of as strange as he is. They talk about a car accident that he was Mm. in, and it makes me wonder if he's... He's suffering from some kind of mental disability or like something now. I don't know. It's really, you really don't know. And it, I don't know it, if we ever find out more about Tommy, like if there's ever like a tell-all Tommy writes a book <laughs> kind of deal where we learn about what happened and he was dealing with something really horrible and like James Franco was just kind of kind of mocking him to his face. I don't know. It puts a, a bad all. taste in and my mouth. And then having all these sexual assault allegations on top of it, it's just like this whole scenario. It's really it's weird. Like, it's hard, yeah. Yeah, it grosses me out. And it make it makes me wonder what people who haven't seen The Room and have no idea anything about yeah. The Room are thinking when they see any trailer for The Disaster Artist or see Seriously. like a clip on TV of this guy being imitated by James Franco. It's so strange. Well, it's I a think, really, really strange yeah, movie. It's so much more entertaining if you have seen The Room, so... I can't imagine watching that movie without having no, seen The Room. it would be really hard. Although I did see, there's like the documentary they made about Troll 2, and I think I had saw the documentary before I saw Troll 2, and I still thought it was very entertaining, so maybe it could have the same thing. I where still it, like, need to see that some interest. Oh, it's really funny. you got to watch that. Did you... You saw Okja, right? Yes, I loved Okja. That was a fun Netflix movie from this year. Yeah, that was... I forgot how much controversy that caused at Cannes, because I remember they were mad that it was even being placed in the festival because it was going to be premiering like internationally on Netflix. And so they were like, this shouldn't be included. Everything else is being theatrically released or whatever. And then they all but, stroked their mustaches. Yeah, I'm sorry, that out. was a joke about Kenneth Branagh. And, uh, that character is actually Belgian. So I take it back, French people. Wow, that I was... apologize. <laughs> it's okay. I don't think, I didn't even realize that was a joke about that. So I think you're probably in the clear. <laughs> but um, no, that was, I think another, I've only seen in terms of Bong Joon-ho's other movies, I've only seen Snowpiercer. But it's evident from watching Snowpiercer and Okja, there's no one working that is like him he has a very distinct voice and the movie does such a good job it balances you know satire and tragedy and kind of this cartoonish brand of comedy like just all these different elements and it does it also effectively and makes it an entertaining popcorn movie that also it has an interesting message about like environmentalism and you know consumption of animals like that entire industry and it just like has all these really interesting points while also delivering this very entertaining product. And the cast, I mean, it has Tilda Swinton, Jake Gyllenhaal, who else? Lily Collins, like just all these pretty big names doing really great work. So I thoroughly enjoyed that one. That's a bizarre film. Yeah, it's bizarre, but I, I loved it. There's it nothing was, like it. It's engrossing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was watching it and I had this sense that he was trying to make like a live action anime. Yeah. Especially because of the way the characters, especially Jake Gyllenhaal, like oh, talk certainly. and act. Yeah, it's very exaggerated. Yeah, it's really, it's quite strange. You know, I'm looking through his filmography. I've seen Snowpiercer. I wasn't a big fan of that. I think it was maybe a little too on the nose for me and its message. Mm-hmm. But it looks like he made Memories of Murder in 2003. Did you see oh, that? I haven't seen that. I haven't no. seen that either, but I have seen trailers and like video essays about it, and it's supposed to be... Hmm. Like, incredible. Yeah. I know, like, the movie that, like, his breakthrough movie was The Host from, like, 2007, which is supposed to be kind of, like, a redefinition of uh, the kaiju movie kind Mm. of thing. So I think I definitely, I need to see that as well. 
considering how much I really liked Snowpiercer and how much I loved Okja. I don't know, definitely one of the, the greatest directorial voices of a generation. Not going to even doubt that. I've only seen two of his movies, but I mean, it's evident that this is a maestro. So, yeah. He's doing something different. Have you seen um, I, Tanya yet? No, but you are really into that. God, I love that movie. That movie is, I think, like Okja, it is this deft balancing act between, I mean, it tells the story of Tanya Harding, and ultimately the movie is about, like, abuse and classism and how it can impact someone's sense of self and um, just the public's perception of them, basically, but it also is this masterful black comedy and has just these wicked, the dialogue is so sharp and so stinging, but it also still manages to be really sensitive to Tanya Harding and her story and how much she endured during that period of, of her life when she was a really controversial figure. And so, I don't know, I was just so amazed by how it was at once light and a lot of the time very, very funny, but it also was very emotional and it really impacted me. There's a scene kind of toward the end of the movie where Tanya Harding, she's kind of getting all these punishments for the whole like Nancy Kerrigan incident that she wasn't a part of, but was kind of placed at the center at, where she's kind of like pleading for her life. That really like moved me in ways I didn't expect. But yeah, that movie just did so much well. And I think Margot Robbie's giving a career best performance. Allison Janney's giving a career best performance. I mean, everyone is on their A game here. So I know you haven't seen it, but you've got to see it as soon as possible. Yeah, the, I the movies I've gotten it. the sense from you that I need to see the most from this year that I haven't seen are I, Tonya and Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, I'm obsessed with that movie. I think... <laughs> I probably like annoyed everyone with it because talking <laughs> about your name. I mean, it's my favorite movie of the year on my website, favorite movie, whatever. I feel like I did in my Facebook to reflect that many times <laughs> on my website's Facebook page. But it was that I just did a call that was published today about it in the daily. I've seen it three times. Like I'm telling everyone they need to see it. Like it's just, I also was a huge fan going in of the director, Luca Guadagnino's work. He, He's, like, worked for two decades, but he really has solidified his directorial voice with, like, 2009's I Am Love, which is kind of an overwrought homage to, like, melodramas from the 50s. And then 2016's A Bigger Splash, which is just kind of an erotic thriller. All of his movies are very, like, sensorially stimulating, but this one really does such a good job portraying first love on the screen in a way that's just like so evocative and even though it does depict a romance between two men it is super universal and i think anyone who has ever experienced like first love or a crush whatever will relate to this feeling of yearning that is developed and plus like it's set in northern italy and you just you can feel the sun on your skin you can hear the the flies buzzing it just it's all it's such an immersive experience, and I loved it. And Timothy Chalamet in it and Army Hammer, they're both fantastic, and I hope they get recognition. The soundtrack's great. I mean, it's just, I think it's a perfect movie. I I don't know. Like, I haven't had that many great experiences, or experiences that have been this great in terms of this year. Did you have any, like, reactions like that with, like, other movies, though, like, of what you've seen? That just drew me in and, like... Yeah, because this one I feel like I could talk about it like that, just rant forever, but did you have any, like, similarly strong reactions to any movies? Yeah, you know, I, I talked about it when we did our episode on Star Wars. You know, mm -hmm. I'm such a huge fan of Star Wars, and I was conflicted when I came out of The Last Jedi because of the way they handled a lot of these characters that I really love, like Leia and Luke, and, you know, I think it's safe to say at this point we're so far away from it that they kind of wrap up Luke Skywalker's story in this movie in, in a satisfying way, and it was it was hard to handle for me. So that was like, that was probably the most emotional experience for me mm -hmm. this year. And then 
I enjoyed it, but then coming out and seeing all these reactions from people who like hated it yeah. was kind of heartbreaking for me because I, oh, totally. I I love those stories so much. Anyway, I think in terms of like immersion, what you're talking about, movies that sucked me in and built an environment that was so believable and interesting characters and feelings. I have to go with The Shape of Water on this oh, I one. I haven't seen that one. Oh my gosh. I didn't think I could feel such feelings for a fish man. <laughs> the fish man is very good. He's a very good fish man. Yeah. And just uh, everybody in that film has such an emotional arc. Guillermo del Toro is so good at writing bad people. <laughs> the, the bad guy in the movie... I think it's Michael Shannon. Oh, he plays so many bad people. Yeah, Michael That's Shannon like is so evil. <laughs> uh, I can't even believe how just every little movement and mannerism that he has is just designed to terrify or intimidate. Yeah, Sally Hawkins is just something else. She's a else. great actress. She's really... something else, and she she doesn't talk. Yeah. At all. I mean, she has she whispers at one point of the film to the fish man. Yeah. The whole movie has all of these kind of references to older films and, the, you know, he has all these old tube TVs that are sitting around that are playing old movies. Like, I think it shows some some shots from Cleopatra oh. at points. And anyway, there, there's a bit where you kind of get to go inside of Sally Hawkins' head where she, you know, she's, she loves the fish man. She's <laughs> in love with the fish man. Everybody knows this. She's, <laughs> she wants to express her love for the fish man in a way that isn't just through sign. And you kind of go inside of her head and there's this whole black and white sequence where she and the fish man have like this dance. They dance mm. and it looks like something out of White Christmas or out of Singing in the Rain. The whole sequence is just stunning. But it's all, it's all in her head. And yeah, there's something. It's really, it's, again, it's another love story, but it's, it's really emotional. But you know, you're like, how am I feeling that she's in love with the fish man? It's so good. And it's the whole time period it's set in. It's like the 50s. And, mm-hmm. But it's that really stylized 50s that didn't actually happen. You know, yeah. It's something else. Yeah, no, I've got to see. Because, I mean, Guillermo del Toro, I adore him. And I loved, like, Crimson Peak. Like, that was his most recent movie. And I feel like that was so... People... I think just kind of thought of it as just like a visually stylish but like hollow haunted house movie. But that was such a singular movie to me and it reminded me of like the horror movies of Mario Bava and like Dario Argento. I don't know. I just thought it was so misunderstood. So it is nice to see him having this follow-up to that that is garnering so much acclaim because anytime he's part of this big conversation, it makes me happy because he's one of those filmmakers who evidently loves movies. Like if you follow him on Twitter, he's just oh, yeah. constantly talking about movies that he loves and really he just is so devoted to cinema and his movies are all just so unique. Even ones that are less successful. They're so recognizably his, so yeah, I gotta see that for sure. You know, I just saw for the first time the other night I saw the the second Hellboy movie. Mm. I'd seen the first one. I love that first Hellboy movie. Yeah. It's really cool. And I, I don't know why I just hadn't seen the second one. Yeah. The second one's not as good, but <laughs> it's got all these incredible shots and places that have these weird creatures in them. And um, I'm always so enchanted by that. You know, I think half the fun of Star Wars is the creatures and the visual effects. Oh, totally. Just the way that he creates, there's a marketplace. It's called like the troll market, I think, that they yeah. go to. And there's all of these creatures that are walking around, and they look like nothing else that you've ever seen in a movie before. They're all so unique. You know, some of them are these weird, flabby, pale creatures that, like, don't have necks, and they're just walking around. <laughs> They've got these long, spindly arms and big uh, robes. And 
the 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 guys got such an imagination Definitely. and i am happy that there are talented enough people out there who can kind of take these sketches and turn them into something that's tangible and real that's yeah. believable it's magical we both have evidently watched a lot of movies in general this year what was your favorite that you watched this year that wasn't released in 2017 or I guess, what was everything you saw last year? Because it's a new year now. <laughs> Man, that's hard. I'm trying to think. I, there were a couple that left a really lasting impact on me that I saw. Uh-huh. I watched at the beginning of the year. I, I got really into Japanese film and watched mm. a lot of foreign stuff. I think my favorite though was probably Dreams. Oh, um, I haven't seen that. I've heard that's great. Akira Kurosawa. I think it's from the. I think it's from 1990. It's one of his. I think it's his second to last film, and it's just a bunch of vignettes of dreams that he's had oh. that he turned into a movie, and they're so visually striking. And the pacing of the movie is quite slow, so you really, you really have to sit down and like get under a blanket yeah. to enjoy it. But it's, yeah, it's it's really striking. I don't even want to like say what any of the dreams are because. It'll spoil it. <laughs> there's there's one that takes place inside of a Van Gogh painting. Oh wow, and that's it's, really cool. Yeah, well, like knowing incredible. his, I mean, he's such a great visual stylist. So I'm sure that's amazing to look at. Oh yeah, an experience. Oh yeah, I'm gonna check that and, out. And you know, every dream has a different color palette. Oh cool, and that's like impressive to hear too. Because I mean, he wasn't he. I mean, he was very old when he made that movie. So the fact that he, he was like eighty something. Yeah, when he made so that the fact movie. that he can still make this exhilarating movie that's really cool. Now, my favorite, I think I like have a better. I'm, like, able to pinpoint it just because, like, I just made, like, a top 35 list or something for oh, wow. my website of, like, what I saw that, like, wasn't released last year. And I went with, I think I've mentioned it before on this podcast as a recommendation maybe, but my favorite movie I saw last year was Robert Redford's Ordinary People. I'm always a sucker for a family drama that doesn't feel, like, extremely phony. And this particular movie revolves around kind of a well-to-do family who is shaken by the death of the accidental death of one of the sons in the family. And so the movie takes place pretty much like right after he dies. Um, the brother who was with him during the accident recently um, attempted suicide and he's coming back from the hospital. The whole family's grieving. They're trying to move on, but they just cannot move past it. And so the movie follows them as they're trying to recover. And it's so just heartbreaking the whole time. I was just, I was so attached to these characters, and you really get a good feel for all of them. There's, like, a sense of hope, like, the son who, you know, comes in is kind of this other victim. Um, He does kind of move toward recovery. There's a really touching relationship between him and a psychiatrist. But the the movie just watches this family go through so much agony and so many different scenarios that are just, like, they just feel so true to me that I just, I could see myself in so many other situations with my relationship with my own family and... I don't know, it's just so masterful in all of its characterizations. And it has great work from Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, who is stunning in this movie. She's known as being a you know, a TV comedian, but fantastic dramatic actress as it turns out. And then Timothy Hutton, who plays one of the sons, he was actually like the youngest Oscar winner. He's only twenty when he won for this role. This movie just left me floored and it stuck with me all year. I've watched it in I think July maybe, and it just hasn't it just continues lingering, so that was my favorite that I saw. That's awesome. <laughs> but I, there's so many others, but uh, yeah. I'll just do the one for now, for yeah. sake of time. You know, I really liked Dreams a lot, but I think the movie that really stuck with me the most, and I think about kind of visually and what it does with its story, mm-hmm. I watched Stalker 
over mm. the summer. Have you seen that? I haven't. I've heard of it. Um, Tarkovsky, I think is how you It's like Andre Tarkovsky yeah. or Tarkovsky, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like three hours long. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> but it's so bizarre. It's it's this story. It's like post-apocalyptic. It takes place in Russia. And there's this character who his occupation is he's a stalker is what he does. Mm. And anyway, they're, they're in these, this town. And the beginning of the, the story begins and everything is sepia tone and mm. they they go from this town and he he has this car and he takes rich people out he has to sneak them past this military fence that's there's like a train that goes through every so often and he can only sneak through when the train goes by and he sneaks them past and they keep talking about how they're going to the zone uh-huh. like we're going to the zone and the, the whole movie's in russian but you know they actually say the word zone like something 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 the zone mm-hmm. and you're like oh there it is they're going to the zone <laughs> And there's this amazing point where they end up on this, you know, kind of tiny rail car. And as it goes, the film changes really subtly from being in sepia to being being oh, in color. It's like Alice, not Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. It's like The Wizard of Oz. But it it doesn't really, you don't really notice it until it just like takes you a minute to adjust. Yeah. But the zone is this place where everything is in color. And it's all lush and green and forested. But time and space don't behave correctly there hmm. so you can be walking in a direction and suddenly end up somewhere completely hmm. different interesting and sound does different things it's really bizarre and i'm honestly not sure what the message of it is <laughs> they carry around strings with um bolts attached to them so they can throw them in directions to make sure that the bolts don't disappear if they mm. go off in a certain direction it's so odd and it's totally stuck with me it's this incredible work of science fiction that is kind of undecipherable but really compelling Rec- I would recommend it really highly. Maybe I'll check it out. You yeah. know, it is three hours. You don't have to watch it all at once. <laughs> you can yeah, take a break. I might have to split it up, yeah. I guess I'll just mention one movie that I really liked. I also really want people to see Star 80, directed by Bob Foss. It actually is a true story. It's about the Playboy model, Dorothy Stratton, who um, was basically like manipulated by her much older husband to basically just being like a nude pictorial like when she was 18 or something and there was a point where she she like had potential and stuff and she like befriended peter bogdanovich and like was really set to become a big star but her husband who had forced her into kind of this lifestyle in the first place was mentally unstable and ended up murdering her when she was 20 years old and so the movie covers that entire story with God, just this stunning clarity. And it ends up being a really interesting comment on, like, misogyny in the entertainment industry. But it's just, it's so unusually clear-eyed. You could see where this story could be, like, exploitative or cheap, whatever. But Foss really sensitively portrays this entire situation. And we really, Mariel Hemingway plays Dorothy Stratton just beautifully. We can sense her naivete throughout the movie. But, yeah, it is interesting how it is. This true, true story that could be seedy, but ends up being... Very haunting and very, it also feels very topical as well when we're talking about so much misogyny in the entertainment industry. Yeah, it's just like that's really haunted me for a long time after watching that. So I guess there's my other lasting impact movie. Do you want to just like go just quickly list off some other movies that came out in 2017 that stuck with you? Not with like too long of a description, but sure. just kind of wrapping up. Yeah. Well, Lady Bird, of course. Yeah, a lovely. I know Bird that as one's well. one of your favorites. Yeah. That was a fun one. Yeah. There was Dunkirk, which I that know is going to well. get a bunch of awards. <laughs> I can just feel that's going to get some Oscars. Oh, definitely. Great movie. That's such a uh, uh, such a stressful it's film. It's so visceral. It's really visceral. It's totally different than anything else that Christopher Nolan yeah, has done. Yeah, that's one of the things I like best about it, too. It really shows him working outside of 
I guess his comfort zone, because his comfort zone is so cerebral and like mind bendy, but he just focuses this on emotion. This all time. emotion, all visuals. Yeah. Almost no dialogue. Yeah. Almost no dialogue at all. It's amazing. I didn't really like it that much when it came out of the theater, but it's stuck with me and I think I like it. I think I need to see it again, probably. probably Although yeah. I don't know if I could get back into the headspace <laughs> to want to see it again. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about Murder on the Orient Express. We mentioned Thor. We talked about it. Oh, there was three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Ooh, I haven't seen that. I don't know if I want to, though, because I've really heard it's... very dark. Well, I've just heard that it's very, very tone deaf in terms of giving... I mean, I haven't seen it, granted, but I've heard that it gives kind of a, a racist character of a redemption arc that feels kind of off-putting. And I've heard a lot of comparisons to Paul Haggis's Crash, which I despised. So I'm like... Very apprehensive. But I feel like I should yeah. see it because it is garnering a lot of attention. But did you feel like there was any issues like that with tone deafness at all? Yes. Definitely. Uh, okay. There's a suicide that occurs in the film that's really brutal and on screen. You're right. There is a redemption arc for kind of a racist guy. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's completely redeemed in what he does because you're so morally clouded by what the final decision uh-huh. of the characters is that you don't know if they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a big theme. I enjoyed it. But, you know, this... What's is it? Martin McDonough is that the name of the director? I think so. Yeah. Um, Kenneth. Wait, wait, no, sorry, that's no, Murder on the Martin. Orient Express. <laughs> I'm clicking on the wrong thing. Yeah, Martin Mc, Martin McDonough. He did one of my favorite movies ever, which is In Bruges. So um, I think my downfall from for Three Billboards, which I enjoyed, was that I expected going. I expected going in that I was going to get something that was In Bruges quality. It wasn't. I think the people saying that it's comparable to a good Coen Brothers film, I don't think it's quite there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure the comparisons mostly stem from the fact that, like, Frances McDormand's in it. Yeah, that likely, Frances McDormand... Which I love her, and if she... I think the comparison is just that Frances McDormand is in it and that there's a lot of foul language throughout. Yeah. And no. that's pretty much it. Yeah, no. And I, I'd like to see... I mean, I haven't seen it, granted, but I would like to see her win just because I think she's so... I mean, she's not underrated necessarily, but I just think that she's such a individualistic actress. There's no one like her, and I'd love to see her get all the awards. Agreed. I really liked... It's kind of an experimental movie that came out this year. Technically, it was an art exhibit in, like, 2015, but it, like, was released as a movie this year, and it was Manifesto, directed by Julian Rosenfeld, and it's basically Kate Blanchett playing 13 different characters, and as each character, she kind of delivers a manifesto from like a philosopher or an artist and it sounds really pretentious but it actually i don't like Kate blanchett just transforms herself into all these random characters and by kind of making the whole scenery it's very exaggerated and absurd there's almost like a sense of like mocking philosophy in a way and kind of like taking the hot air out of it and kind of being able to poke fun at it while also celebrating how interesting of an art form it is so i thought that was like a really (laughs) Really bizarre, and I think, I don't know, like, I kind of, I might have overrated it when I just wrote about it, but I just think, once again, there's nothing like it, and I think it's a really daring experiment and a testament to Kate Blanchett's fearlessness. Any other movies we haven't talked about, I think? We haven't talked about The Greatest Showman. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I mean, I haven't seen it, but... <laughs> no, me either. It looks really, I don't feel again, like tone deaf. I don't feel like it actually exists, so I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> you didn't talk about Pitch Perfect 3? <laughs> Gross. No. Come on. Did you see Molly's Game? I haven't. I really want me to. Me either. I've heard really, really good things. I love Jessica Chastain, which my dad doesn't because I made him see Zero Dark Thirty when it came out, and... She's very fiery in that movie, and so because of that, he's like, she just overacts all the time, and she's 
just goes for the obvious, so she's annoying. And I'm like, please stop, Craig. I'm gonna put a disclaimer. Kind of true, I'm but... gonna put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode telling your dad not to listen to it. Oh, he's gonna listen to it. It's fine. He knows. We find about this picture <laughs> stain all the time. But yeah, I do wanna see that a lot. Blake, your favorite movie? Downsizing. How could you forget no, to talk about downsizing? I don't want to talk about that either. Matt Damon <laughs> also needs to get it together. He needs to stop weighing in on sexual misconduct immediately. Like, no one asked him, and he keeps giving stupid responses. Oh, jeez. Matt, oh, uh, God. Did um, you see the post? I haven't seen that either. Jeez, we're slow. We better hurry it up. <laughs> I think we should stop so that we don't say any more of what we've missed. Yeah. I think we're well. I think a lot of the stuff. Granted, if we were like professional critics who are given screeners, like I'm sure we would have been able to see all of it. This is true. Unfortunately, we are just dudes. A lot of these movies are not coming out until later in the month or have only received limited releases. So you know what? I'm gonna give us a hot pass. I feel like I saw a f- a pretty good amount of you know the movies this year. So did you see the Pirates of the Caribbean movie that came out this year? No, you. <laughs> no Me way. either. Not gonna do it. We're not going to support Johnny. I, I guess I technically supported him by watching Murder on the Orient Express, but he gets murdered and I was glad about it, so whatever. <laughs> All right. I think that's about what we I got. I think that's what we got. That's what we got. That was a good summary. Did you see The Florida Project? I haven't seen that I yet. really want to see that. I've heard I it's fantastic. I keep hearing that it's very good. There you have it, folks. That's it. You know all the movies. We liked all the movies that we haven't seen that we wish we could, but yeah. have not. <laughs> I'm going to release this one as a bonus episode, I think. Okay. This one will come out on a day that isn't a Monday. Great. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, on Stitcher, or on our website at uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast, and you can find us on our personal accounts at Aiden Walkero or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write to us and reach us through email to tell us about a movie that you enjoyed, send us an opinion about something that we've said, send us your thoughts at all, you can send us an email to (laughs) cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. We're trying to get the word out on it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.